Greetings, and welcome to Stars and Stuff, the astronomy podcast brought to you by me, Richard J. Bartlett. In this first episode, I'll talk about what this podcast is about and what it isn't, cover some of the latest news, review what you can see in the night sky over the next few days, and then I'll talk to you about how far you can see with just your eyes. So let's start at the beginning. Since it's the very first episode, I just want to take a minute, literally, to tell you what it is, or rather, what it's not. It's not your average astronomy podcast, or at least I hope not. It might be a bit rough at first, and it will get better, but more than anything, I want this to be interesting and, hopefully, fun. I've heard a lot of podcasts where the host sounds like the pilot telling you to look out the window on the left side of the plane. I don't want to sound like that. I've also heard podcasts that sound like a meeting of the astrophysicist Big Bang Theory fan club. I don't want to sound like that either. I'm just your common nerd and I want this to be as user friendly as possible. It's got to be interesting. If I'm not interested in it, then neither are you, and if you're not enjoying it, then neither am I. It's a circle of life thing. With that in mind, I've also chosen background music that makes me think of the night sky and the universe as a whole. I intentionally chose music that reminds me of a planetarium show, or maybe a spa, or maybe even a spa in a planetarium. That being said, some of the news might be a little dry, like a clear summer's night in Oklahoma, but I'll try to make it interesting. You'll just have to trust me on that. My goal is to produce this every 10 days or roughly every two weeks, I honestly haven't decided yet, and to make it no more than about 15 or maybe 20 minutes at a push. I might go a little over, especially today when I have a lot of explaining to do. I don't have time to record a long podcast and I certainly don't want to listen to one. The idea is that you can listen to it on your way into work, while you're on a break at work, or while you're on the treadmill trying to convince yourself that you're having fun. You may even decide to listen to it as you're looking at the stars. In every episode, I'll cover some of the news stories that have hit the astronomical headlines, talk about what you can see in the night sky hopefully without sounding like the pilot on a plane, and then I'll have something topical to talk about. It could be a news story or something else, and I might not know what it is until I record it, so we'll see how that goes. Lastly, just for fun, we'll end on a trivia question. You'll get the opportunity to test Siri or Alexa to see if you can get the answer before I give it to you. So real quick, a little bit about me. I've been into astronomy since I was six. I previously have my own websites and I've written for Astronomy Magazine, The Daily Beast and Orion Telescopes. I now write and self-publish my own books, look me up on Amazon, and write blog posts for the good people at High Point Scientific, the largest retailer of astronomical equipment on the East Coast. I was born in England and emigrated to the US in 2004. I now live in a suburb of Los Angeles where the skies are clear on most nights but you can't see anything anyway because of the light pollution. When there are clouds, they're usually brown. More specifically, my wife calls them clouds, but when the brown clouds appear to cling to the horizon, to me, it's quite clearly smog. But anyway, on that note, let's take a look at what's been happening in the news. I'm going to try something a little different with the news. My time, like my money, is short, and I could just read the news, but I've tried that already. It wasn't much fun to record, and it was even less fun to listen to. So here's what's going to happen instead. There's been a bunch of astronomical headlines these past 10 days, so I'm going to summarize the top stories in just a couple of sentences and in no particular order. That way you get the news you need and neither of us has to listen to me talking too much. Alright, so here we go. 
Observations show filaments of gas connecting proto-galaxies in the early universe. Known as the cosmic web, these filaments stretch for over 300 million light years. New kinds of organic compounds have been detected in the plumes bursting from Saturn's moon Enceladus. The compounds are the, are the ingredients of amino acids which are themselves the building blocks of life. Astronomers have uncovered two historic events in which the Andromeda galaxy underwent major changes in its structure. The findings shed light not only on the evolution and formation of the Andromeda galaxy, but to our own Milky Way galaxy as well. Researchers have found evidence of a cataclysmic flare that punched so far out of the Milky Way galaxy that its impact was felt 200,000 light years away. The event was the result of an expanding beam of energy from close to the supermassive black hole in the center of the galaxy just 3.5 million years ago. A new study of a lava flow on Venus indicates that it's made of basaltic lava. This discovery weakens the notion that Venus might once have been Earth-like with an ancient ocean of liquid water. Meanwhile, on Mars, NASA's Curiosity rover has found evidence of an ancient oasis. Rocks enriched in mineral salts discovered by the rover act as evidence of shallow, briny ponds that went through episodes of overflow and drying. Twenty new moons have been discovered orbiting Saturn, bringing the planet's total moon count up to 82, compared to Jupiter's 79. None are larger than 5 kilometers, or roughly 3 miles, and all take two or more years to orbit the planet. Lastly, the 2019 Nobel Prize in Physics has been awarded to Professor Michel Mir and his doctoral student Didier Kellos for their discovery of the first exoplanet in 1995. I personally would like to extend my congratulations to the pair for their win. I'd also like to apologize for butchering their names. On any given night, you could hope to see as many as five planets with just your eyes. Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter and Saturn have all been known since ancient times and have each been observed for many thousands of years. It's pretty easy to see these planets for yourself, typically. Unfortunately, that's not the case right now, as only two of them, Jupiter and Saturn, can be easily seen in the evening twilight. The other three, Mercury, Venus and Mars, are all just a little too close to the Sun. Mercury and Venus are both moving away from the Sun in the evening sky, but both are very low and you'll need a clear, unobstructed view to stand any chance of seeing either one. Mercury won't be easily seen at all this month, but your best chance will probably be in the second half of October. Venus will set later with each evening and should become more prominent by the beginning of November. By the end of the year, it will set nearly three hours after the Sun and will be an unmistakable sight above the southwestern horizon. Mars was in conjunction with the Sun on September 3rd and is still creeping slowly into the pre-dawn sky. Unlike Mercury and Venus, you won't be able to see it yet and we'll probably need to wait another couple of weeks to catch a glimpse. No wedding around for Jupiter or Saturn. Both are still very clearly visible in the southwest in the evening and set hours after the sun. In fact, Jupiter is so easily seen that even my nearly four-year-old son could easily find it. He calls it Ujipur, but at least he knows it's a planet. It's pretty unmistakable and quickly becomes apparent just 10 or 15 minutes after sunset. It'll appear towards the southwest as a bright, whitish star. Wait until the sky darkens and a good pair of binoculars will show you four tiny points of light beside it. These are the planet's largest moons, Io, Europa, Ganymede and Callisto. Come back the next night to see how they moved. Saturn, the most distant planet visible with just your eyes, appears further toward the south. As it's fainter, 
you might need to wait a little longer to see it, but it should still be easily seen as a pale yellow star. Famed for its rings, you'll need a telescope to see those, but even the smallest of scopes should at least allow you a glimpse. Uranus and Neptune are also well placed for observation, but you'll need binoculars or a telescope to easily see those. Uranus is currently rising with the full constellation of Aries, whereas Neptune is still traversing through the faint stars of Aquarius. And what about the moon? It reached first quarter on the 5th and appeared as a half moon close to Saturn on that date. It's now moving eastward through the constellations of autumn and will turn full on the 13th. Fortunately for the superstitious, that's a Sunday. The following night, it'll pass the planet Uranus and then the waning gibbous moon appears close to Aldebaran, the red eye of Taurus de Bull, on the 17th. Let me ask you a question. How far can you see with just your own eyes? I'm not talking about looking down the street or across town. I'm talking about looking up and at the risk of sounding like John Lennon, looking across the universe. But can you really see across the universe? When you look out into space, you're also looking out into the past. You don't need a DeLorean to travel through time and you certainly don't need to hit 88 miles per hour to see some serious stuff. Look up on any random starry night and what do you see? For starters, there's roughly a 50-50 chance you'll see the moon. Incidentally, I could explain why you don't see the moon every night, but I only have about 5 minutes and you'll probably need pictures, which is hard to do when your podcast has no video. The moon is about a quarter of a million miles away, give or take a few. In astronomical terms, it's not so much a neighbour, but a roommate who also sleeps in the same bed as you. Ill. It took Apollo 11 four days to get to the moon, travelling at about 24,000 miles per hour, and you thought your dad drove fast. But that's nothing compared to the speed of light. How quickly does light travel through space? Don't wait for Siri to give you the answer. The speed of light is roughly 186,000 miles per second, or nearly 670 million miles an hour. Nothing travels faster than light. Well, apart from tachyons, but they're still theoretical, and I'm not an astrophysicist, so I won't make myself look stupid by attempting to talk intelligently about them. So the moonlight that inspires the romantics and bothers the astronomers is already a little more than a second and a quarter old by the time it dazzles your eyes. Yes, you're looking at the moon as it was, and not as it is. The sun is almost 93 million miles away. Quick, do the math. Sunlight is over 8 minutes old. Theoretically, the sun could explode and we wouldn't know about it for 8 minutes. In that scenario, we wouldn't have long to be surprised and in panic before we suddenly died from a massive overdose of radiation poisoning. Incidentally, while researching this, I came across an article that said Mars would be turned into a dessert. At least those of us who are sweet too would have something to look forward to. And what are the planets? The Juno space probe is currently orbiting Jupiter, which can currently be seen in the southwest after sunset. It's about 525 million miles away right now, so when you look at the planet through a telescope, you're seeing it as it was 47 minutes ago. The stars themselves are, of course, a lot further away. Our closest stellar neighbour, Proxima Centauri, is nearly 25 trillion miles away. That's 4.2 light years. So yes, you've guessed it, we're seeing it as it was a little over 4 years ago. If the crew of Apollo 11 were attempting a landing there instead of the moon, it would take them about 118,000 years to get there. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a long time to spend with just two other guys for company. Not to mention having to use plastic bags instead of a lavatory in a very confined space. You wouldn't be able to hold it for 118,000 years. 
although my toddler would be willing to give it a try. I'm just saying. By the way, after spending 50 years in space, they would have traveled more than three times the distance from the Earth to Pluto. That's pretty impressive. Of the 50 brightest stars in the sky, 20 are less than 100 light years away, which explains their brightness. One of these, Betelgeuse, not Betelgeuse, as amusing as that is, is a red supergiant nearing the end of its life and could go supernova at any time. The astronomers among you will know that it marks the shoulder of Orion, while uber nerds will wonder if there are any attack ships on fire nearby. It's about 650 light years away and it's entirely possible it's no longer there. The star may have exploded yesterday or 200 years ago, but the light has yet, yet to reach us. Look up on any given night and you could, under cleared out skies, be gazing upon about 2,500 2, stars. Every single one of those stars belongs to our own galaxy, the Milky Way, which itself contains about 250 billion stars. The Milky Way is about 105,000 light years wide and the Sun is about 26,000 light years from the center. That's a lot of numbers. On a dark summer's night, if you look between the constellations of Scorpius, the Scorpion, and Sagittarius, the Archer, you're looking toward the center of the galaxy. You can't see it directly because of all the stars, gas, and dust that's in the way, but you're looking across thousands of light years of space and time. But it's still not the furthest you can see. In the autumn, away from the lights of a town or a city, if you look toward the constellation of Andromeda, the princess, you might just be able to see a tiny, faint, grey, misty patch. That's a whole other galaxy. Known as the Andromeda Galaxy, you're looking at the light of about a trillion stars compressed into that tiny, misty patch. It lies about two and a half million light years away, and you're seeing it as it was when primitive humans were just beginning to use tools. It's not even in that exact same place anymore. It's moved a little since then, and in another three and a half or three and three quarter billion years, it will slowly collide and merge with our own Milky Way galaxy. On a clear night, can you see forever? Not quite, and while the stars may seem constant and steady, they are merely thousands of echoes of times and places that we can see, but in which we can no longer exist. Light from almost the whole of human history shines down upon us, and we only have to raise our heads to be a part of it. We're almost at the end, but before we go, here's a trivia question for you. And here's also a shameless plug. This is taken from my book, The Daily Astronomical and Space Quiz Book, which is, of course, available on Amazon. So here's the question. How much larger is the Sun than the Earth? Is it A, 75 times larger, B, 83 times larger, C, 96 times larger, or D, 109 times larger? I'll be right back with the answer in just a few moments. You'll probably have just enough time to Google it, or ask Siri or Alexa. Welcome back. The answer to our trivia question is D. The Sun is 109 times larger than the Earth. You probably could have guessed that. After all, the Sun is very big and could hold all the other planets, moons, comets and asteroids within it. Pretty much everything that's within the solar system. So that's it for today. If you liked it, and I hope you did, please subscribe and tell your friends. You can find stars and stuff on Spotify, Apple and Google, among others. 
or by going to tinyurl.com forward slash snspod. That's tinyurl.com forward slash snspod. You can also email me at astronomywriter at gmail.com, but please only write if you've got nice things to say. I'm joking, mostly. But I reserve the right to read your words out loud in a future episode, so think carefully before you write. Thanks for listening, and until we talk again, clear skies to you.